Thank you for rhythm and praise. That R&P, baby. Just came out. I'm feeling extra confident today. Chris gave me a compliment today. Yeah, it's the suit. He came and he told me, he said, hey man, I see you not wearing, it's kind of microaggressions, but we're gonna let that slide. He's like, man, you, you, you wearing a nice suit today. And I was like, what does that say about every other Sunday? He's like, no longer that Zara Express. I was like, it's the same brand. He was like, well, it's a nice suit. And I was like, get out of here. Well, I, don't, I don't feel safe around you. Not everybody wears silk. It's the fabric. It's great fabric. <laughs> <laughs> Can I say something to y'all? And I pray that y'all will take this well. Easter is not a Sunday. Resurrection is not something we celebrate once. So as we continue on with the series, I want you to make sure that we get the benefit, the beauty of what the gospel really presents. We shouldn't limit it to a gospel Sunday is what I'm saying. You ever been to the gym after New Year's? It's packed. You ever been to church on... Easter Sunday, it's packed. But the Sunday after, welcome members, you're back. <laughs> but not in a rude way, what I am saying is that we're not gonna stop Easter today. The youth are released, the youth are released. We're not gonna stop Easter today, we're gonna enjoy the beauty of what God can do as we continue to talk about the gospel. So without further ado, I want to dive into the message. We ain't got much time to dive into a thick one. And since I know all the mature youth, or I mean the mature youth, mature people are here, these second service saints are here, I'm expecting you to dive with me. We're going to hold our breath for a little bit. I promise I'll bring you up for air. But we're going to go deep today. Can we pray? Dear Father, we are thankful that you have given us grace enough to be present. My prayer for everyone, including myself, is that we're not just present, that we are fully in tune and walking with the Holy Spirit as you guide me and lead all of us through this entire sermon. God, I am nothing without you. I just want to be led by you. I find my significance in you, so therefore I want to hear from you. So I pray that everyone in this sanctuary right now feels that they, all they want to do is hear your voice today, not mine. 
that they are so attracted to your word that nothing can take them away. Nothing can distract them from the opportunity in the presence of who you are and the fact that you love us first. So God, watch over the rest of my words that they all give you glory, that everything I say is for your glorification and for your edification, and that everyone in this sanctuary feels edified by your word and your word alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This ain't a financial lesson, but let me break this down. Uh, I am a big proponent of being debt-free. I don't like credit cards. I, I hate them. I dreadfully hate them, and I know many of y'all swear by your points, and then you can get your mileage and take that trip that's not free because you paid interest on it, but let's let that, let's let that happen. But if you know anything about a credit card, because I, I used to have credit cards, I remember when I had credit cards, and credit cards, they feel more like a burden to me. I'm going to speak from my own personal preference, because what happens is, is that you feel free to make the purchase. You, 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 and many of us have bought something we can't afford and we feel free that moment. But when you get your bill and you realize that that $70, $30, $50 dress is now $69.99 because of interest, you realize and then you pay that $15 minimum payment and you realize that dress is going to take you six months to pay off. It, for some reason, it doesn't feel free no more. For some reason to me, when I started getting that bill, those things that I thought I was saving up points and doing all this extra stuff with, I, I, it didn't feel free because now I realize, because American Express will do this to you. I don't know why. American Express makes you feel like it's the card you need and the card you want because they give you cool colors and they make you feel like you, ex you are achieving something in life. You went from gold, you, first you were blue because you were a normal color, then you get platinum and gold, and they keep sending you more offers to make you feel special. When in reality, they just keep taking your money, but I remember that one time I was looking at my bill and this joker said, it will take you 30 years to pay it off with the minimum payment. And I wonder how many of us in this room right now are sitting there telling me, Pierre, you know what? I feel the same way about life. That the decisions I made when I thought I was free, I now feel the guilt of every month I open my bill. That everything I thought was going to be free, everything I thought felt good, everything that all the people and all the things that I did, I'm now paying for with interest. But then we have this guy who came and paid off all your debts. We have this Jesus that said, let me come pay it all off. Let me let you set you free from the interest that other people are charging you. There's nobody else who can accuse you and take from you no more. So I hope that when we type to talk about this message today, you are now realizing you're debt free. That when you open up your monthly bill, it says zero, zero, zero. There is no monthly payment due. And since no monthly payment is due, now you feel free again. What I want you to say is that there's nobody charging me up no more, but I want to ask the question is how many of y'all are still charging that same card? How many of you are debt free but keep making the same decisions? How many of us know that we don't have to have a credit card because we have a little bit of money in the bank? But I'm going to ask the secondary question. How many of us are okay living on our salary alone, but we want that little extra bump so we can buy a little extra stuff? So when we get to Romans chapter 8, I want you to read it with me because you're going to love this passage. But many of us, no offense, have misused the passage. We have uh, used it uh, uh, to, to feel like we're going to get our way. And God is sitting here saying, no, 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 I did the work. I made you debt free. I paid the cost. I am the who that you need in your life. I am the who's of who that you need in your life. And right here in verse 31, we're going to cross-reference a little bit today. It says, what then shall we say to these things? 
These things, I wish I had time to go up. You know if it says what then, that means you should go up. And if you go up, it talks about predestination and God's choosing you. But we don't have too much time to get that because it will talk about it in a second. It says, if God is for us. Oh, this is good. How many of us have lived life trying to be for yourself? I'm going to go somewhere with this. How many of us have said, you know what, since nobody's with me, it's me. How many of us have felt like we are proving ourselves on a daily basis because nobody else is going to do it for us? So when you hear this passage, sink into your seats and feel a little bit of comfort. But I also want to make sure I direct you to what for us means. I want to make sure that you understand that for us doesn't mean what you want. And for us doesn't mean that you can manipulate or drive God to your decision making. So what I guess what I'm trying to say is when many of us rest in this passage and we sink in our seats, I hope that you're sinking in the seat that God told you to sit in. That some of us have said, hey, if God is for us, then I'm going to get this job. But when you don't get the job, you blame God. And what if God was saying that ain't for us? I wonder how many of us said, hey, this is what I want, and we're asking God to drive to the force. And God's like, wait, you have misinterpreted my entire scripture. For us doesn't mean you rich. For us doesn't mean you get the raise. For us doesn't mean you're not single no more. For us means I died for you. So now all of us are free, debt-free to live. But because the world dominates your train of thought, when God says he's for us, now that has to mean that he has to do what you want. But if he was only for us, that means when he died on the cross for your sins and he elected you for eternity, you would say, man, that's enough for me. But many of us are like, no, 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 God, if you're for me, then you need to get this enemy out my way. This wife you need to fix. This husband you need to fix. This singleness you need to fix. And God looking at you like, but when was I enough for you? Because for us, it's big. It's massive. And let me lay it deeper for you. Go to Isaiah 53. I don't have too much time to jump, but we're going to jump to this one because it means a lot. In Isaiah 53, I want you to just kind of see if you can understand what for us really means. In verse 3, it says, He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and like no one from men hid their face. They despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself he bore, our sorrows he carried. Y'all hearing this? That's what for us means. For us doesn't mean that we get cars and riches and many other people preaching this passage. It doesn't mean that your friends and all the people you hate are no longer going to be against you no more. It doesn't mean when you walk through your office and your job that nobody doesn't write the same emails no more. That's why we get mad with God because we still suffer and God's looking at you like, no, for us means I took your grief, I took your suffering, and I put it all on me. But he was pierced through our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He, the chastened for our well-being, fell upon it. And for our scourging, we are healed. Verse 6, and watch this. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. But watch this last, couple, last sentence. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all, oh my, to fall on him. He said, I did all of this, and I took all of the iniquity, even though the sheep would go astray, and I said, it's going to fall on me. I'm going to own that. 
He took your debt and said, I am willing to set you free. When you open up your bill every month, I have set you free. There are zeros on your bill. That is enough for us. The problem is, do you think your salary is enough on earth? Is that many of us, excuse me for a second, get credit cards because we're not content with what us is for. Many of us say, God, that wasn't enough, so I need to make sure that somebody else fulfills who is for us. I need to go get more friends and acquaintances that tell me how great I am. I need to make sure everybody else gets out my way. And God's going to you like, wait a second. I took all your grief. I forsook everything. I turned down my glory, came down to earth, and died a criminal's death. All so you can have this new thing called salvation, the gift that I was promised to you. I gave it to you. Now you can live free. I'm for you. So if nobody else has proven it to you, my God has proven it to you. He is for you. Stop searching for people to be for you when my God is for you. Stop asking a significant other to be for you when God is for you. Stop asking your job to give you significance if God is for you. You don't have to search no more. Somebody already proved it. See, here's the problem is that you have to feel so secure in what for us means that you don't need nobody else to be for you. How many of you are okay if nobody else sides with you, but you side with the gospel? We have too many people trying to please people. We have too many people scared to share the gospel because we're like, ah, I don't want to make nobody upset. No, God is saying, I don't care. If I have on your side, nobody else is off the sides. Okay. It gets better because everybody likes the second portion of this passage. I just want to make sure I hammer that home. It says, who is for us? This is what everybody wants. Then who is against? You see these who's keep popping up? But you got to understand something. If I am for you, then who? Who meaning plural. There is not an enemy that can be against you. There is not a person that can ever rip you away from the palm of my hand. There is the eternal security that I've given you. No sin, no person, no shame, no nothing can rip you away what I'm for. But are you for me? Because some of us are mad because we keep going against God and wondering why we have bad consequences. Ladies and gentlemen, I got news for you. If you go for God and he's in what he's for, nothing else can get in your way. But when you decide to go against God, don't be surprised what against God results. When you decide not to be the husband, when you decide to go to start cussing people out, when you decide to let people know on the road how angry you are, they're in the fast lane going 75 when we know it's all 80 and above. When you decide that's a sermon right there. Get out of my way <laughs> with my living word sticker on the back. I got to take that off. <laughs> I do. It's, it's contradicting. When you decide to make sure people know the finger you chose to use, when you decide to put it in between other fingers and the other one goes up and it's not your thumb, <laughs> Don't expect godly results because he says, if I'm for you, no one else can be against you. But if you want no one else to be against you, you can't live against God. But if you're for God, oh, check out the who. The who means absolutely no other thing can be against me. And how do I know this? Go to Mark. We don't have time, but if you go to Mark, the apostles were upset because somebody else was proclaiming Jesus. And Jesus responds and says, who is with me? In Mark chapter 9, verse 40, he says, who is with us is with us. 
If he says my name, it's not exclusive. They're with us. But who is against us? They're against us. So when you walk into your job, be confident, because if you walk in with God, there's nobody against you. When you walk in and you're doing what God has called you to do, why are you fearful? This is the second point I want you to understand. Why are we scared? You know, they were standing before the Red Sea, right? And they heard the Egyptians coming and they started to tremble. You know what Moses told them? Stay there. And today I want to give you a message. For those who are scared because you're not, you don't recognize who's God and the who's of who, I need you to stay there. Stop running and going back and forth and pacing yourself at night, scared about what's going to happen with your job, scared what's going to happen in your marriage, scared what's going to happen in your singleness. Stop being scared if God is for you. Why are you scared of who's against you? You don't need to put subtweets and messages to other people, and you don't got to send the message you think is really going to get them this time, and you gonna, this attitude is really going to get my husband this time. You don't have to send those paragraph text messages to explain yourself. If you choose to do what God tells you to do, keep pushing. Stand still. We're okay. But also I want you to know it does not mean that Pharaoh's army ain't coming. This is what you got to get. Some of us think God is not for you just because somebody else is present. Oh, my God, you've missed it. The beauty of the message is somebody can still come against you, but they won't be victorious. We have to stop acting, Pierre Canning's included, because this is my struggle. When things go wrong in our life, God is not there. We have to start saying, God, I see everyone. I see the who's but I know who. And since I know who, I'm not scared of the who's, but they're going to be there. We have so many Christians walking away from the faith because they've encountered one struggle, because their marriage ain't perfect. I got news for you. We live in an imperfect world. I got second news. We live in an imperfect church too. So stop coming to church saying, oh my God, look who's here. Who cares who's here? My God is here. And when he's here, keep it pushing. Some of us haven't served in church in years. Some of us, I'm hurt by this person and that person. I get it. But stop letting your past hurt dictate your present or who's present. If you allow, hear me out, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sorry. This is going to be my passion point. I'm going to move forward. If you allow who's to get in the way of who is present, you're making the who's bigger than the who. You're making everybody else bigger than the person who could split a Red Sea in your life. You're making the Jordan also they cross with Joshua. Do I have to go down your history lessons of who he is? But let me get to the biggest of who of who. Is when Jesus came to die on the cross for your sins, he was saying, I'm that guy. Because if I can conquer death, oh my God, I can conquer everything. I thought it was good enough I split a Red Sea for you. I thought it was good enough I led you out of Egypt. I thought it was good enough that I did all this thing. But if you had any doubt, not only do I need a raise from the dead, I'm going to walk around and let 500 people see me, then eat a fish sandwich, just so you can say. Oh, that's the who. So if my God can conquer death, what does depression have on you? If my God can conquer death, what does loneliness have on you? 
If my God can conquer death, why do you lose hope when somebody's against you? Let it happen. Let it ride. Keep going. Why? Because nothing can stop a person who conquers death. And we all know about death during this season, don't we? It hurts. Mama T just passed. That hurts. Stings to my core. But I know where Mama T is. I know that he conquered death, so I'm not even scared of death no more. I wrote my obituary on a plane going to Africa because I'm not scared no more. Why? Because I know who conquered death. <laughs> who of who? Christians have to stop being scared and guilty. He paid it in full. He paid it in full. The credit card purchases you made when Satan is charging you interest, my God paid it in full. When Satan kept coming back and causing that guilt from your past mistakes, all the things you thought you could never be forgiven for, my God said, I paid that on top of paying that, that my grace was sufficient for it. That's how I'm for you and nobody's against you. Even Satan can't get to you. If you know the story of Job, Satan had to go ask permission just to get to Job. So that means my God is still in control even through your worst suffering. That means my God can stop anything he chooses to stop. But if he chooses not to stop it, do you still know who God is? Because the last time I checked, his wife said, curse God and die. And he was like, no, ma'am, you, don't, you got it all wrong. Because if he was God back then, he's still God today. Mm. But let's get deeper because some of the points I just touched are going to get touched again. It says this. This is what I love about our God. Verse 32. And it says, he who did not spare his own son. How many of y'all have a child? Just if how many of y'all would give up your child? We can we can go to Isaiah and we can go to that story and how hard it was for him to give up his only son. But I got two sons and one daughter and none of them I would give up. But he was saying, if I wouldn't spare you. If I wouldn't spare, but you got to get the Greek on the word spare. Spare means if I wouldn't save him from loss. If even though I had the power to strike down everybody that surrounded the cross, I said, I'm not saving him from his own discomfort. So you got to know the Greek to understand the depth of that word. If I wouldn't take him away from suffering discomfort on your behalf. So then we got to flip that for a second. How come people, me, Pierre Cannings, not you, y'all are holy. How come Pierre Cannings, the moment it gets uncomfortable, we scared of loss? How many of us don't make decisions only because we're scared of loss, but God is saying, if I wasn't scared of loss, and not only did I wasn't scared of it, I did it on purpose to give my only begotten son, John 3, 16, one of the only verses we memorized from ages 5 to 13, that scripture. And how are we scared of discomfort? The moment church gets too hard to wake up for, we miss. The moment the song ain't your choice, we miss. And God is like, this was never about your comfort. I showed you that I wouldn't sacrifice comfort for your salvation. But it's weird how Christians will then take comfort and make it their salvation. It's just weird to me. It's not even a part of the sermon. I just want to throw that out there. But he says, I would freely give him up. That's the beauty of the word. I would freely give him. And the word give him in the Greek means as a favor. I will give graciously to you. 
That means I wouldn't save him from his own discomfort and I freely gave him up for you. But then the beauty of the contrast comes up. Here's the last thing about, not last thing, here's one of the other things about being debt free. Don't you feel free because when they call or your number that picks, you don't have to be scared it's a debt collector? Hear me out. Now that I'm debt free, they can call because I don't, I don't owe nobody nothing. It's a beauty of picking up 832 numbers. I'll be like, hello? This is John from Debt Collecting. Yeah, bro, you got the wrong person. <laughs> got the wrong G today. Except the hospital bills. Those are, those are beasts. I mean, they, go they come for your head. But if... You don't have to worry because if he freely did it, then nobody can come take it. Hear me out. That means nobody can come take away our phone or call you from your past and say, you owe me something. Nobody can come and do that because what was in the past from the east into the west is now in the east into the west. What would you thought nobody could forgive you from? My God is saying, I freely gave it back up so that you wouldn't have to live through it again. But how many of us rehearse our past? And the reason why we're down and low and lonely is because we think nobody can forgive us of our past. And some of us are living and God is saying, but wait a second, there's no debt collectors if I gave it away. I paid the debt to make sure nobody could call you again. Stop letting people pick you up. You know what I like about them new phones? They let you know. They say, spam likely. So this is what I want you to do when somebody calls trying to bring up your past. I, want to be, I just want you to answer the phone. Answer it nice, too. And say, excuse me, I think this is spam. He's like, no, this is, a, this is your ex-boyfriend. No, you spam. <laughs> and you, and I want for other people to pick up the phone and be like, Hey, this is, this, is a, this is your coworker. I remember that one time. I don't remember anymore. This is probably spam. <laughs> because nobody can what? Carry what God don't carry no more because he carried it at all when he freely gave himself up on a cross. But then he says something beautiful. He says, if I freely gave up my own son, why would you think I would hold something back from you? So why are we walking around thinking God's holding back? Well, this is where many of us are going to disagree with me. Today we're going to get into a theological argument, but you just can't talk. <laughs> we're going to go back and forth mentally. Because I'm, I wonder how many of us in this room feel like God is holding back something from you. Read it with you. It says, will he not also with him freely give us, no, everybody loves this passage, watch this word, all things. I, I know many preachers have used this text, but I'm going to use it hopefully in a different way. I'm going to use different because I'm not trying to make myself seem holy. This does not mean prosperity. This does not mean when you step up to pray to win the lottery, God's holding back from you. When you prayed over your scratch-off, and lost. That was not God. When you prayed for your raise and you poured the water from that, ch that channel that comes on at two in the morning and you bought that water, 
and you poured it over your couch. <laughs> when you took the same water because you had a little left over and touched it on your car, that was not all things. You know what all things is? Go up a couple verses. Go to Romans chapter 5 when he says, I gave up my son because I loved you first. And while you were yet helpless, I sent my son so that you can have all things for the edification of my kingdom through salvation. So therefore, he's not talking about your earthly wealth. He's talking about everything you need for goodness and for my glory I gave you. So sometimes that excludes your vision board. Sometimes that excludes you being married by the age of this time. Sometimes for us that are hurting, it excludes when you thought things would be done by God. All I'm asking and saying is all things means he never took anything and held anything back from your salvation. How do I know that? Because all sins were taken away so you can experience all of salvation. This is big. If God held back something from salvation, that means there are four sins you probably couldn't do that many of us have done. What if God said, if you have premarital sex, all y'all going to hell? It's the only point I can make where everybody laugh. <laughs> what if I said, if you cuss under your breath? Not, not to the person. That's a, that's a bigger sin. But if you was like, mm-hmm. you going to hell. Some of us wouldn't be in church today. <laughs> I'd be doing your funeral like this. I don't know where they are, <laughs> but bless them. <laughs> but my God said he died for all sins. So when he says all things, he said, I didn't hold nothing back from you. Because when I gave you my son, I also gave you all things you needed for salvation and eternal life. So therefore, you don't have to live in fear of death or sin are the consequences of, because I gave you everything you need to live a life for my glory. Here's the tricky part for many of us. He gave you all things so that you can work on his behalf and you can serve him because now you are blessed because you have been forgiven of all things. And since you have been forgiven of all things, he would think that you would turn your life around and say, I'm going to give you back all things. But many of us say, thank you for your grace. Now let me hold something back. So then I turn around and say, what all things are you holding back? Because God didn't hold back nothing. But let me get a little deeper. Because some of them were not living favorable life. The church of Rome was, the church of Rome was not necessarily always good. I mean, there were things that weren't going great. So he's also saying, even if it's going bad, you have no fear over your enemies, over the backstabbers, over the people who are going to persecute the church. You are cool. Why? Because at the end of the day, if you keep living for me, 
I'm going to give you everything you need. How do I know this? Let's go back to the disciples. You ready? Just real quick. I told you a lot of cross-references today. Let's go back to the disciples. He said, don't take your money bag with you. Don't take your money. We need to eat, fam. Then he goes to Egypt and he says, they left. And obviously they got what? Hungry and thirsty. Are, we, are y'all, y'all with me? So why would God say, hey, you're going to serve me, but you may not have the riches you want. And you can't take your past resources with you. Oh, this is getting good. But when they went, did they ever go hungry? No. And when they got into the desert and they had no food, what came down from heaven? And then when he broke the rock, although didn't in his anger, when he broke the rock, what came out? Water. But it was sweet water. So I guess what I'm saying is you may not have everything you think all things is, but you will never go without. And some of us won't praise God until he gives us the all that we define as all. And God is saying, but I will rain down manna from heaven. I will send quails when you need some meat. And I will also send you into the wilderness so that you can understand how I can be a provider. So when you want all things, you got it wrong. I am all things. Mm. But I've also found that when God gives it to us, we just don't appreciate it. And you know how I know this is Pierre Cannons. And I'm explaining, and I'm hopefully y'all will understand my pain. I don't know how many of y'all got the tax credit for kids. If you got kids, bless the Lord. Kids are finally paying for themselves. <laughs> they finally got a job. And it's called COVID. They started sending that tax relief, and all of a sudden I got that tax return. And I was like, what is this? I even called my tax lady and I was like, hey, there's a mistake. She was like, there's no mistake. They owed you your tax credit. I said, well, they did owe me that. I worked hard for that. Well, my kids did. But then me and my wife were sleeping one night and the air conditioning goes, and I was like, oh, bless. Don't get me wrong, never a hot day in the house. But I was like, God, is this that air condition money I've been praying for? Now, hear me out. If you got that tax credit, how many of y'all would want to spend that not on vacation, but on your air conditioning? But guess what I've been praying for? Air conditioning money? Because I ain't got credit card to swipe, and nor will I get one to swipe it. So I've been saving $125 a month for a $10,000 purchase. You know how long that's going to take me? (laughs) We wasn't going to make it, Doc. (laughs) Talking about this is our air-conditioned savings fund. She was like, with what? I'm like, we can at least buy a thermostat. We good. (laughs) But I was sitting in the shower complaining to God about, man, I don't want to use this money. But God is looking at you like, but I just rained down manna from heaven. And you complaining about the manna? And some of y'all, we, you, you, you feel my pain. Because you're like, P, I understand what you're saying. I be distracted with the blessing because it's not what I wanted, even though it was everything I needed. And because we have so many wants, we have stripped God of his all things. 
only to come in church bitter because God hasn't given you what you wanted, but he gave you what you needed. So therefore, we don't even give God his praise, not only for his salvific all things, we don't even give him praise for how we live in all things. This world has stripped us of our joy. Can you imagine church being church when people appreciated what he gave? Just hear me out. Can you imagine these four wonderful singers right here singing but not motivating? Where this crowd drowned out their voices? Not because they ain't beautiful voices. I can't sing like none of them. But what I will say is what if you were so thankful that throughout the week, God gave you salvific all things, but on top of that, took you to work and back, no wrecks. Make sure you had the insurance covered. Make sure you didn't get nothing happened to your kids. Woke up and all your kids still breathing. Woke up and you still had life. Woke up and all of a sudden your groceries, even though they're expensive, are still there. Even though you only got six things for $100, that you still had six things. I'm, I guess what I'm trying to understand is if people said, trade on, we don't need you. Chris, we don't need you. Now, don't get me wrong. Grab your mic and, and act like it, but we finna fill this whole sanctuary of praise because I remember all things. Candace, we don't need you. Cresha, we don't need you. Monique, we don't need you. I'm so caught, captivated by God because he's met all my needs. But we created a church where if we don't do something special, you forgot he's all things. Ah, moving on because it gets better. And this is where I have to close the last couple verses. It says right there, who will bring a charge against you? Oh, my. <laughs> but it's not just you. It says God's elect. You, you special. You, you, you ain't just here by circumstance and chance. My God saw you and knew you before you were born and said, that's mine. Hear me out. That means if he elected you, predestined, if you go up a couple verses, that means he also knew how many mistakes you would make until you got saved and after you got saved. Still saw that and was like, I choose him. I choose her. I choose the one that I know is going to jack it up and turn her back on me. I choose the one that may never come back to church after the pandemic. I choose the one that said, you know what, I ain't never serving in church. I chose the one that said, you know what, I'm going to sit in these pews all day no matter what PSA. I choose that one and I choose you. It's different when it's circumstance and chance. You'd be like, man, I'm not that special. It just rolled on my number. No, 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 no. My guy said, I saw it and I still picked you. But I did it before you were even born and thought of. That means I already knew. So when he says, who can bring a charge against the elect? He's saying, I already knew. And you can't even bring charges against them because I picked them. But who's the charger? This is the question you need to ask yourself. I already proved the election point. You can go up a couple verses and read about election. That's amazing. It means to be selected and chosen. It means that you are predestined before calls. Isaiah 53, 6. But the charge thing, you should be asking, who's the charger? Because have you noticed this point about who and who? Have you noticed how many times I've said who will do this and who will do that? Finally, he says, who's going to charge you up? Who can bring, now this, one, this is where the Greek matters, who can be your accuser? This is what I love. Ain't nobody can be your eternal accuser. But we also know there's another person that likes to accuse, right? 
Because biblically, we know he's the one that goes up and tries to accuse you of who you are. What did he say about Job? He's not as righteous as you think he is. He's righteous because you keep giving him everything. He's the accuser. So this is what it means for you. It's not only on this earth can anybody accuse you. That means bring you up for justice, bring you up for trial. This justice word is going to make sense in a second. That means nobody can bring you up to justice against you. That means when you go before the judgment seat of God, nobody can sit there next to you and say, they shouldn't make it because I accused them of. Think about this. This is going to make sense in a second. And then Satan comes up and says, I can't. And God's like, you can't accuse them if they're mine. Watch the second point. Because if they're mine, I had to forgive them. If they're mine, that means I had to take away everything you could accuse them of. So therefore, what do you have on them? Because I forgave them of everything and I'm the final judge. You getting the theology of this? That means if I picked them, I knew what they would do, died on the cross, like we said, freely gave his son so that they can be forgiven. That means everything that you could accuse them for, I've already forgiven them from. So what are you bringing? You can't bring anything I haven't forgiven already. So what are we doing here? This is an empty trial. Better yet, this is a mistrial. You don't got no evidence on them. Do y'all get that? Ain't nobody have evidence on you no more, bro. So why do you keep living in everybody's past? That means the person that always wants to bring up your past, you need to text back, I'm forgiven, fam, even if you choose not to. Now, I've asked, I already told you I'm sorry, but I'm forgiven. And you can't even walk up to heaven with me because we not might make it on the same time. You won't get taken early. I'm just joking. Now, <laughs> it's my flesh. You can't even make it to the final judgment seat and bring nothing. So all your exes, all your bosses, all your coworkers, and yes, these are some of, yours, some of your mistakes too. Nobody can bring them. Even Satan can't. So stop living in guilt because there's no guilt in forgiveness. You know where there's guilt? In your flesh. You're like, well, Pierre, what's the difference between guilt and conviction? I'll prove it to you. Conviction causes change. Guilt causes sadness. Conviction makes you say, "Woo, I didn't mess this up. I don't know how many of y'all done that before. You woke up and you were like, uh-oh. <laughs> I didn't jack this up today. Some of y'all woke up with that hangover. You was like, ooh. But you can wake up saying, God, I am, I need your forgiveness. But when you finish praying, it should cause you to change because you realize you're forgiven. Guilt makes you say, I'm not worth it. God, I don't know why I'm even praying to you no more because you already know I'm not perfect. I don't want to even go to church this Sunday because what's going to happen? I'm not going to change. I ain't changed last Sunday. Oh, man, I don't even need to call no accountability because if I call accountability, they're only going to tell me how bad I am. And God's like, wait a second, that's guilt. That's from Satan. Guilt never causes change. It just makes you sad. It just makes you worse. It just makes you feel unworthy. Let me move on. Because it gets better. 
because it says you howl, nobody can bring a case. God is the one who justifies. That means he makes you right in his eyes. Oh, hear this out. You may never be right in someone else's eyes. So stop trying to prove it to him. But my God says, when I justified you through something, we, we talked about this like three weeks in a row. When I made you righteous through my blood, then I see you as right. And since I see you as right, then who can bring a case and say you're wrong? Now, be careful. Some of y'all's wrong in your behavior, okay? Because some of us don't like to be wrong. Let's be honest. Some of us argue from a standpoint that you always right. Facts. But <laughs> I guess what I'm trying to say is you're salvifically made righteous, even while you sometimes function in unrighteousness. So who can salvifically say you're not worthy when God said, I made you right? But let's move on because it talks about this last word I have only a little bit of time. Then it says it changes from what? Who's going to bring a charge? And it says, watch these last who. Who is the, who is the one who condemns? So not only should nobody bring a case, nobody can pronounce a sentence on you. Oh, shucks. So not only can they bring a case, they can't tell you what your case is going to give you. If you don't know law, I watch Law and Order, so I'm practically, practically a lawyer. So <laughs> so at first they what? They accuse you, and then they say, this is how much this crime is worth. Here's your condemnation. So I'm going to give you what I think you're worth based on your sin. My God is saying, not only did I take away the sin to make you right, on top of that, who can tell you where you're going and who can tell you what you're worth? Because nobody should be able to bring condemnation or a determination of whether you're guilty or not if I took away your what? Your guilt. Hmm. So that means you're forgiven in God's eyes. There's no guilt to walk around with, number one. Number two, that also means you can't be a condemner either. This is where the church is like, eh. are you sure? <laughs> Some of these people need to go to hell. Because <laughs> y'all look, some of y'all are even going through your mind like three people like, yeah. Yeah, bro, you don't know this person, dog. Like, trust me, if you knew him. <laughs> if you knew him. <laughs> So that would mean all the picket signers that are Christians that stand outside telling everybody they're going to hell, they can't carry the same verdict. What they can say is it's a sin. What they can say is not right, according to the truth of which we believe in. But to tell somebody their punishment. But then I checked my history, Pierre Cannon's history, and I was supposed to be condemned to hell too. And I'm not trying to be rude, but everybody in the sanctuary is condemned to hell too. But then this Savior came in the picture and took away your condemnation. 
So when he died on the cross, he had to shed his blood, which we already talked about. And when he shed his blood, he took away your condemnation because everybody was supposed to suffer the wrath of God. But when he took on the wrath of God, you no longer have to suffer for the wrath of God. So that means since you're not condemned, why are we walking around thinking we self-righteous and now we're the condemners? Remember, you were once them. Some, no offense. And remember, sometimes you still are. Mm. But then... He tells you your why. This is where it closes. It's he who died, which I just talked about. Yes, rather, who was raised. That means you have resurrection power. Is at the, watch these words, right hand. Look at Psalms 110.1. We don't have time to go there. Psalms 110.1 talks about he is at the right hand, and now his enemies are his footstool. Ha. So the same people, I wish I can go to Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah 50 says, they pulled out his beard, they spit on him, they beat him, but then he raised up. And now he sits at the right hand of God, and the same people who beat him are now his footstool. But then he says, watch this, he intercedes at the right hand of God for you. So if you know anything about the historical background of the right hand, it means that what? He's not only in a position of power, he's in a position to talk to God and say, hey, God, I was once there. I remember crying. I remember weeping when Lazarus died. I remember these people are struggling, God. So I will intercede on their behalf. But then you're like, Pierre, what about the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit also intercedes on behalf. And he says he grumbles when you can't even get words out. So here's the beauty is that you have two people that are interceding to a righteous God that is saying, I know them. They are, I interceded so they don't get condemnation because I died so they don't get condemnation. And now I sit at your right hand saying, hey, you don't, they don't need your wrath. They're going to get your grace. Why? Because I died to give it to them. I just want you to understand. Because sometimes we look at gospel messages and say, man, I know this already. But do you live like you know it? Because if you live like you know it, you shouldn't be shamed out of anything. If you live like you know it, you would let nobody accuse you and condemn you, nor would you be the condemner. If you live like this was the truth, you would be able to say, God, when you say in Jesus' name at the end of your prayer, that's powerful. Why? Because you get to pray to a Savior who died to sit at the right hand, who talks to God on your behalf. So you say what? Dear Heavenly Father, you address but then you say at the end of your prayer, in Jesus' name, amen. Because you know it's only through Jesus Christ who ripped the veil to give you communication to God that you can now say, God, I need your forgiveness. And God says, no condemnation for you. I know who's interceding on your behalf. So don't act around self-righteous. There is steps to you being righteous in the first place. Don't walk around acting like you got it all together. Trust me, there are steps for you getting it together. Don't look at your marriage and forget you needed help one day too. Don't look at your job and say you needed help one day too. There's no condemnation for somebody lower than you because you remember there's a Jesus on the right side of God. So even when you slip that cuss word in, he still, I intercede on their behalf. Look at my back. I interceded on their behalf. Look at my hands. I interceded on your behalf. Look at my forehead. I interceded on their behalf. They don't get your wrath. I took it. I took it. I took it. But I love this about Psalms 110. It says this. They're at, the, they're at his feet now. So that means all the enemies 
that once thought they had power over Jesus are now sitting at his feet. But that also means the God who empowers you is that every enemy you've let distract you, everything that you've let take away from your walking in your salvation, every person that you no longer walk out in fear and trembling because you don't live out your salvation, every person that you've let distract you is sitting at the foot of Jesus in submission to him because you live under a God who can put anybody in his submission. So why are you letting people have power in your life that are one day going to have to sit at his feet? So if they're at his feet, guess whose feet? Not saying you're better than them, but guess whose feet you don't have to bow to no more. Because the last time I checked, if you look throughout the Old Testament, God's enemies are your enemies. If you're living righteous, are his enemies. His justice on the people who hurt you are your justice. So why are you scared of people? I wish I had told me time to read the passage that said, why would you fear man? Just go to Ephesians 1.20, Colossians 3.1, Hebrews. You go down and you just read through the text and says, why do you fear man if they will all bow to me? Mm. Man, I wish. The last step of being debt-free is a couple things. One, I don't know how many of y'all ever had this before. Two things can happen when you're in debt. They can come back and take stuff. It's not good. I'm sure it's not a great feeling. But I've seen commercials. Just like I'm an attorney, I'm also a repossessor. I have a tow truck outside. No offense. Pierre Cannings Jr., I'm picking up your, Pierre Cannings II, I'm picking up your car after church. You owe me money. But what happens when you don't pay your debts is that somebody can come collect your possession because guess what? It wasn't your possession because you never paid it. But if you pay it, you never have to be worried because you know what happens. It comes in steps. First, they send you a red letter or pink. Now they're using different colors because they got new printers and now they use yellow, white, black, blood red. I don't know. They use it all. They give you warnings and then they come collect and pick up what you thought was once yours they could take away. But when somebody removes the debt, you no longer have to walk out in fear that your car is taken because somebody paid your car off. You no longer have to worry about the tow truck guy coming and saying, hey, this is our car now, buddy, because somebody paid your car off. So when somebody pays your car off, you can continue to do what you got to do. You can hop in your car in confidence because now it's yours. So what once used to be your worst thing, because we all know it's a dead asset, is now a palpable asset because it's paid off and it now serves a purpose for you getting to work and making more money. So therefore, what was once bad is now good and nobody can take it away. When my Jesus said, I paid your debt, that means Satan can't hook up your life to a tow truck. He can't take it back no more. He can't send you warning letters of your guilt saying you're guilty of this and guilty of that and guilty of this. No ex, no person, no job, no co-worker can send you a letter in the mail saying, hey, I need to come collect this debt, this guilt that you have in your life. Because you already know my Jesus said, I paid for it all. So when you sit at your desk, you don't have to crack through them crooked blinds and say, are they going to take it today because my Jesus took it all away. Live debt free. Because the who is bigger than the who's. Let's pray.